for I know I'm going to need it. (laughs) So we're in the middle of a sermon series called We the Church, and we're focusing on the structure of the church and the leadership in the church, and our key verse is Matthew 18, 20, where two or three gather in my name, there I am among them, is what Jesus tells us. Jesus is here today, right? That's why I said in our vision to glorify God by being devoted to him, one another, and, re- and reaching the world for Jesus. And everything we do, Jesus is present with us. And if we can remember that, we will bring glory to God. Um, we've been going over some of the structure, the leadership structure, some of the things about how, how we're going to, um, we feel God is calling us to function as his body, like holistic small groups and understanding what our spiritual gifts are and then using them. And today we're going to be looking at empowered teaching. We're going to look at empowered teaching, how empowered teaching reveals, refutes, reproduces, redirects, revives, and readies all of us in daily life and for the coming of Christ. Our scripture for this morning comes from Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. And I'm, I'm just going to read half of that verse to remind us about how important teaching is. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. Empowered teaching. Just like those other things I've been talking about, it's not necessarily the teaching part, but we need empowered teaching. Empowered teaching is not just about a knowledge thing so that people can see possibilities. Empowered teaching is accomplished by Jesus Christ dwelling among us during the teaching and the teacher being aided by the power of the Holy Spirit and each one of us that are being taught, being ministered in our souls by the Holy Spirit so each one of us can understand it in our own hearts. Empowered teaching is sharing God's Word in a way that can lead a person or a group of people to the true knowledge of God, His power, His justice, His love, His mercy, and His grace and salvation through His only Son, Jesus Christ. No matter how hard you try, general or scientific knowledge just will not do that. Knowledge of various religions. If we study all the religions in the world, you will never get there. Studies about God, Christianity, or theology cannot provide the experience of God that you get through empowered teaching. Only empowered teaching aided by the power of the Holy Spirit based on God's Word will produce a genuine experience of God and His power. So things look a little bit different up here this morning because I have a table and three chairs. So we're going to kind of do like a panel discussion. 
I asked Doug Cox, Carol Mangus, and Max Felger to come and share with us today. So if y'all would come up here and get a seat, um, I'm going to turn on your mic, just so you know we're going to use this for the rest of the message. And I want to introduce them to everybody in the church so you have an idea why I've asked them to come up here. Doug is teaching the adult Sunday school class on Sunday mornings, and his empowered teaching is currently helping us to better understand and apply the New Testament book of Romans. Max Felger is teaching the adult Wednesday evening Bible study, and his empowered teaching is bringing to light uh, the structures of the Old Testament. And what the spiritual message is in the Old Testament, along with the promises and predictions and prophecies that are pointing toward Jesus Christ. And then Carol, Carol Mangus, is our children's ministry director. So she's speaking for all those who teach um, our children in the church. And her empowered teaching skills are being used to coordinate and ensure that we have empowered messages for children's Sunday school, children's church, toddlers, and in our nursery support. So we're going to go down that list. If you happen to have the, um, the handout uh, with you, you can follow along there. And the first thing I want to talk about is how empowered teaching reveals. And so I asked Max to prepare for this one a little bit, because when you look at Genesis, chapters 1 through 3, and you might want to read those later this week. The Word of God starts this way. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created. Human beings could study and speculate on things plainly described in the first few chapters of Genesis for thousands of years, and indeed people have. And people come up with a lot of theories, but that's all they are. They're just a bunch of theories because no one could really know without the Word of God. Empowered teaching of God's Word reveals, reveals truthful detail and some eyewitness accounts of God's handiwork. Empowered teaching by the aid of the Holy Spirit reveals God to us in ways that we could never know. So Max, would you please reveal a couple truths that you've been sharing on Wednesday evening Bible study to give an example of empowered teaching and how that reveals from the Old Testament. He told us we have five minutes each. Um, he wants me to cram an hour study into five minutes. We, um, we started, by the way, I'm out of town this week for the first time since we started the study. There is not going to be a Wednesday night study this week, so... If you missed it in the announcements, um, don't come Wednesday night. We're not going to be here. We started 10 weeks ago studying the Old Testament. We were calling it uh, um, the survey of the Old Testament. So we're going very quickly through it. I set down some rules to start with, and I think these are important. Um, first of all, the purpose of the study is to understand the structure of the Old Testament. And that's fairly easy. Um, discover the spiritual message of each section of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is not just facts and figures. If we don't get 
the spiritual message out of it, something that we can apply to our lives, we've missed a whole bunch. To follow the concept of God and his dealing with mankind. We don't learn a lot, and I, I get in trouble every time I say this, we don't learn a lot about God himself in the New Testament. We learn a lot about Jesus. We learn about a lot about relationships. We don't learn a lot about who God is in the New Testament. That comes from the Old Testament. We need to have that background before we get to the New Testament. Organize basic facts of the Old Testament as a foundation for Bible study, and that's what I just talked about. And learn to draw spiritual conclusions, sometimes from stories that we've known since we were this big. You know, we teach children these stories, but we don't always get the spiritual conclusions that we should come up with. And then we talked about conditions for Bible study. What does it take to understand the Bible? And sometimes it's difficult. Uh, I've told people many times that I think, in fact, I, uh, Jay's upstairs. I, I told Jay this morning, he, he said that he's been going through the videos of the Wednesday night, and he said, I've never really read Leviticus because I think it's boring. I said, I think it's a real sin to make God's word boring. <laughs> I, I work real hard at not doing that. So conditions for Bible study. The Bible is the word of God. He exists. If we don't have that foundation, the rest of it isn't going to make any difference. So I don't try to teach that God exists. That's a precursor. If we don't understand that, then the rest of it isn't going to make any difference. The spiritually dead person cannot understand or profit from the word of God. So I am assuming that those in the class already have a relationship and we're going to go from there. The spirit does not force revelation. Let me say it again. The spirit does not force revelation. When you're reading through scripture, God isn't going to beat you on the head and say, this is what I had in mind for you. God doesn't enforce or doesn't force revelation on us. We have to dig for it. Sometimes studying scripture is work. And if you're not willing to put the work in it, you're probably not going to get out of it what you should be. Okay, for accurate interpretation, some basic rules. First of all, determine what's actually said. We in the 21st century live in a whole different world than what the scripture was written in. Idioms, terms, things like that that are used in scripture, unless we do some digging sometimes, we don't understand. And if we don't understand them, we're not understanding what God's told us. So based on the context of what it's in, we can understand what's being said. Compare related passages. What else does the Bible say about that subject in other places? The historical setting. We looked at three verses a couple weeks ago. Two in Romans and one in the book of Matthew. Paul said twice in the book of Romans, you're not under the law anymore. We're not under law. We're under grace. The law doesn't apply to us anymore. How exciting that can be. And then we looked at it in Matthew 5 when Jesus says, I haven't come to abolish the law. The law is still in effect. Is that a contradiction? 
Did Paul not understand what in the world Jesus was saying? No, you got to look at the idioms. What Jesus said was, I haven't come to abolish the law and prophets. Ding, a light should go off. That's a Jewish idiom referring to the scripture, to the Old Testament. What Jesus said was, I haven't come to do away with the Old Testament. Study it. You need it. A whole different meaning when we understand what he was really saying. Uh, types of Christ. Do I have any time left? Or am I can, can you give us one example of I, what that means? I'll and, give you and, one example. Yeah, that would be cool. Doug, can you tell me what that... Doug's going to say, Oh, I think that's Turner. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say? Turner's over here. <laughs> <laughs> this is a picture that helps you understand what Tarna looks like. So you'll identify Tarna when you see her. This isn't Tarna, that is. That's a type of Christ. We see them throughout the Old Testament. People, occurrences, occasions, or things that point to either the work or the person of the Messiah when he comes. And when he came, they should have said, I know who that is because I've looked at the pictures. I've looked at the types. So we've looked at a lot of those. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. If I could just put a plug in for Wednesday evening Bible study, you ought to come and listen for some of those things. It's, it's cool because you're, you're realizing, okay, these, this was pointing to Jesus. When Jesus came, this, it makes sense. You know, why he did what he did, why he had to come as he came and that type of thing. So anyway, that, that I just thought, I, and I asked Max ahead of time, um, explain that type of Christ type thing. So thanks for doing that. That was pretty cool using the picture. And Tarna, we love you. Thanks for being <laughs> here today. <laughs> All right, the next um, part about empowered teaching is that it refutes. Um, Moral standards and spiritual ideas are always compared to the Bible to define and to judge what their values are. Empowered teaching holds God's standard above all things. We need to understand God's standard. If I can help you understand that a little bit, think about butter and margarine. We don't compare butter um, to margarine. Have you ever heard a commercial that said something like this? Oh, this butter tastes just like margarine. <laughs> Silly, isn't it? Yet that's the way a lot of people operate with, with the word. But butter is the definitive spread that so many people are trying to make their margarine taste like. In the same way, spiritual concepts, morality, godly living are tested by searching the scriptures because God's word is the standard for comparison, not our human ideas. So, Doug, I asked you if you would read and expound upon 2 Timothy 3.16 and why is that important for empowered teaching to be able to All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. 
Well, sometimes it's okay to be taught or to learn. Sometimes it's not as comfortable to be taught because teaching sometimes is painful. But we'll go to Romans. And by the way, those of you who attend all three Sunday morning, Sunday school, and Wednesday night will find that it's all doing this. Max refers to Romans. I refer back to the Old Testament. Pastor covers them both. And all the subjects that everybody's been using and referring to tie together. Why is that? Because we're all doing scriptural-based instruction. It ain't us. It's a scripture. So why, why, why would we use this scripture? Well, part of it is we, first of all, need to know it before we would use it. And we talk about refuting. Refute what? Folks, we've got a big world out there that ain't followers of God. And we are. And we need to know our scriptures in order to refute those words of the world. We need to learn more and more. We used a quote in Sunday school downstairs this morning. If Satan can keep Christians ignorant, he can keep them impotent. If Christians are not into the word, understanding the word as best as we can, learning that word, when we learn that word, we can refute what the world says. They may not like it, they may disagree with it, but if we're in the word and we're refuting what the world says with the word as we learn it, then there's hope for those who are willing to listen. Always have an answer ready. Oh, but, you know, I, I don't think I can do that. That's, that's, that's for Max. He's the guy who knows the stuff, you know, not me. Well, yeah, you're called to learn as much as you can. Because you will talk to people and say, well, I don't believe this. And, of course, what's our, well, that's on you then. But why? How does it work? You know, we've spent how many weeks just learning about what is justification and the so what's of being justified? That's a theological term. How do we talk about being justified to somebody who doesn't have a clue about being justified or what it means, how it works, how it might affect me personally? Oh, well, we study together. We look at Scripture, which can give me an answer to the world's questions and declarations. Romans is really good at that. He gets it down into the weeds a lot. But that's okay. And for those of you who don't like Romans, blame it on Jan, because she's the one who suggested it the most. We, <laughs> talked, we, we talked about that this morning a little bit. But yeah, we, we learn by digging so that we can have an answer to the world we live in. Thank you. Hey, should we change mics? Is it the handheld mic that's making the popping sound? Do you want 
Have we used car enough? I think that cord is long enough. Okay, while you're getting the mic ready, Steve goes and says something. So, Carol, I asked her to think about reproducing, how empowered teaching reproduces. And so I, I gave her this verse. I'm going to share this with everybody. Luke chapter 18, verse 11. Jesus said, the word of God is like a seed. So we could say that this parable that Jesus is talking about, the word of God being like a seed, we could say that God is the gardener and Jesus is the seed. The word is planted over all the world. Or the analogy of this parable could also describe how empowered teaching of God's word has the power to grow or to cause growth to happen. It reproduces in us and within the family of God. The word planted in an honest and obedient heart produces physical acts which can be seen and felt. And this is why Christianity has survived for over 2,000 years, because it is the everlasting body of Jesus Christ. God created the church to be the body of Christ, to reproduce powers contained in God's word that can be shared through empowered teaching. So Carol, would you please describe the importance of having um, empowered teaching reproduce in our children's ministry? I'll give it a try. (laughs) (laughs) Empowered teaching begins in the nursery. The babies, the toddlers, it begins there. And the ladies that I met with that are gonna be in the nursery when God sends those children and those babies, They know that Um, in the mission statement, I found one that had been written some years ago for Dunphy, Living Hope, as we call it today. And in that statement, it says, it is a place where every child is loved, cared for, and taught about Jesus. And uh, I think we need to emphasize that word taught, that we begin um, at the nursery level, and it's not just a place to babysit, but it's to show the children their love, they're cared for, and they're taught. Um, then the empowered teaching of the word to the kids, to these little ones, will nurture that seed that Pastor was talking about that's implanted in their hearts, hopefully at this very young age, and it will reproduce Christians. Um, and also the New Testament church century after century as we have seen that as we study uh, God's words. So it's a must that we must hand down God's truth contained in the Bible and as a result God's word will unfailingly reproduce Christians who want to share the love of Jesus. Thank you. You did a great job. So the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 2.25, For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So I'm talking about redirecting. Every meaningful life change. All of us should have had some type of experience of that if you're a Christian. But every turnaround from dark to light has one common element, and that's God's word. 
because empowered teaching redirects. Some of you know the name C.S. Lewis. He's a, a brilliant writer. He was a brilliant writer and he was a professor at Oxford University in England. But did you know that in his early years, even though he was taken to church as a child, he was a self-avowed atheist. After much soul-searching after college, during college and after college, and discussion with others, some friends that actually took an interest in his life, decided they wanted to have a relationship in his life and provide him some empowered teaching, he was redirected and he gave his life to Christ in 1929. After that point, C.S. Lewis became one of the most prolific Christian writers, especially in Christian apologetics. His experience is just one example. So, Carol, will you please share some examples of how empowered teaching can redirect our children? Okay, again, I'll try. Um, I'm going to start with a book that I checked from the library. It's called Infinitely More, and it's a story of Alex Krutov. I'm probably pronouncing his name wrong, but uh, it, it's about when he was a baby. He was born in a Russian hospital. His mother was in the hospital for three days with him. She left with the hospital. She left. He was a healthy baby boy. She left with him and after three days and promptly threw him in a garbage dump. And so he was there until somebody heard his cries and uh, took him back to the hospital and he ended up in the orphanage. Uh, Alex is about, uh, I would say in his early 40s today, um, but it was in that orphanage where there was abuse, there was neglect, there's all kinds of things that you can imagine in an orphanage that's not well run, but it was short-term Christians who came and visited the orphanage, who showed them kindness, who showed them God's love, who invited him many times into their homes, even though they were short-term, short they still had homes, they were there. And over the years, he, his life was totally redirected uh, until today. He has his own ministry, it's called The Harbor, and he fluctuates between Russia and the United States today. So that's one example um, of a life being re redirected as a child. Um, Doug has already referred to what I'm gonna say to next, but because of this crazy mixed up world that we do live in, uh, that is trying so hard to teach our kids the ways of the world, not God's ways, we do need this empowered teaching very much. And because of empowered teaching, a child can begin reading God's word because of empowered teaching. He may ask his parents more about the Bible uh, or grandparents about stories and questions that, that he or she has. And the child will hopefully learn a lesson or receive encouragement that they can carry with them the rest of their life. And I'm gonna give you two more examples of living um, of kids as a result of empowered teaching, whether from parents, uh, Sunday school teachers, whatever. I know a girl, she's a freshman in high school now, 
but last year when she was in eighth grade, she shared with me that she was gonna go to each one of her teachers and ask if they had any prayer requests that she could pray for. And I know one day she sent me a text saying she was very nervous because that day the teacher she was going to, she knew was not a Christian and she did not know how she'd be received. Um, right here in our own uh, group of people, uh, one of the boys that I had in my class uh, shared often how he witnessed, how he shared at school about Jesus and uh, how he was laughed at. Sometimes he wasn't always received um, in a positive way. So it does make a difference in kids' life. My prayer today is that as God brings the babies, the toddlers, the preschoolers, the elementary kids, uh, that he would have us to teach the love of Jesus to them, and we will meet that challenge and help redirect their lives so that God is calling them and his call is stronger than what the world is saying to them. Awesome, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things Carol wanted to, when we were talking about this beforehand, she said, um, is it okay to be able to say, you know, it's not just the empowered teaching in the church, but the parents have a responsibility. Yet we're talking about empowered teaching. We're not talking about these three are the only empowered teachers. We all need to be empowered teachers in our children's lives and in other people's lives. So yeah, thanks so much. And I love that Carol has had the experience here for many years and has actual, actual examples where people's lives, children's lives were redirected so that when they became teenagers or young adults that they were able to share God's word too. So thanks a lot for that. Um, the next thing we want to look at is how empowered teaching revives. So Jesus revives and refreshes. Listen to this from Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus is speaking to us. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The word of God brings comfort and hope and strength and encouragement, as well as revival and refreshment to those who are weary in sorrow or are suffering from their own poor choices or from the real hardships of life and death in our own fallen world. Whatever faith or lack of faithfulness a person seems to have in Jesus, I've learned from my own experience that when they are at the point of suffering or even at the edge of death, they expect and they need to hear the word of God. They need that encouragement from God in their life. It's interesting to note that no one has ever asked me to read to them on their deathbed Darwin's theory of evolution. <laughs> no one has said, would you please 
pick up that magazine over there and read from that popular magazine to me before I die. Instead, they want me to read from God's word. They know that in the time of pain and sorrow and suffering, God's word is the only thing that can make a difference. That's what they ask for. That's what they need. Doug, would you share some a sample of empowered teaching that revives using the book of Romans yeah. perhaps, that you're teaching in Sunday school yeah. and how we learn about that revival? Yeah, I think, I think part of it is... is as we've been discussing, we have two words that we've been hitting on a lot. One of them, justification. Another one, sanctification. And those sound like really heavy-duty theological terms. One is the act of Jesus Christ who died on the cross so that we can become children of God. And sanctification is that process. And we talked about it this morning. Pastors talked about it in his sermons where you... Yeah, we live in a sinful world, and even though we're believers, we do fall. But there's that rebounding. You go, yeah, wow. So what's interesting is that as you get deeper into the word, you find out, oh, not only does it say, for example, in, in Romans, we've been talking about justification and what it means, and you're not under the law anymore, and so on and so forth. And then he starts going and answering the question, so what? What does this mean for me? That, and we talk about the rebounding thing. Yes, I have salvation. And yeah, I still have a sinful nature and I will fall. But this rebounding thing. Yes, I can be revived. My sins are gone away because not of anything that I do, but because of Jesus Christ. I mean, there ought to be... Periodic times as we achieve that re-relationship or good relationship with God where we go, yeah, I have access to God. Oh, yeah, that's from Romans. I reign and I have the ability to reign because I'm now royalty. I'm a child of God. I can reign over that sinful nature. It's possible. Not always easy. Will we fail? Yes. But there is that process of renewing. It's like, wow. Can, can, can we just start thinking about that and go, thank you, Lord, because we have salvation. And then we have growth. And we see others and we celebrate with them. And we grow together. If we're not careful, we might make a, a, a vision statement or a motto or something like that out of that. Because that's the way we ought to be living. But there is that reviving that is there as you look through scriptures. Because not only do you get, y'all sinners. You go, uh-huh. Christ paid the debt. Cool. But I'm falling. Oh, but there's a God who loves and forgives and you talk with them and you walk with them. And you become renewed again and again. And you go through that sanctification process of becoming who God wants you to be. Yeah, we can be revived. Freedom from sin, 
freedom from the law and freedom to be who you are to be as God created you. Okay, another hour and a half and five minutes. Uh, <laughs> Carol, I got to give you another example as well. I've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I think I started teaching adult Sunday school classes about 45 years ago. So you'd think I'd know something by now, but I don't. I got a Christmas card one time from a young couple. This was after we had moved back out here and were away from the class that I'd been teaching. But I got a Christmas card from a young couple. And she wrote at the bottom of the card, you've given us one of the greatest gifts we've ever had, a real desire for God's word. I've never forgotten that. That's, that's the whole reason for doing this, is to not just give facts and figures to everybody, but to instill a real desire for God's word. We're, talk, we're not talking about feasts. We're talking about appointed times, uh, times that you put in your calendar because that's what God has told you to do. The appointed times in Leviticus 23 are basically broken into two groups. You've got those in the first half of the year and those in the last half of the year. The ones in the first half of the year are looking forward to the Messiah's first advent when Jesus came as a baby and lived on the earth. Those in the second half of the year are looking forward to Christ's second advent when he comes again. 
They didn't realize that. They didn't realize that there were two specific times for the Messiah. And we are so fortunate looking back to see and be able to understand all this. We're looking forward to it. It wasn't quite as clear to them. Okay. The appointed times of Israel. First of all, you got the Passover and unleavened bread. Ah, oh, a great time to remember God bringing them out of Egypt and making a nation out of them. And they spend a whole week in the unleavened bread having a feast. This is one of them that was a feast. And they, they, they enjoy time together as a family. The whole idea of the Passover and unleavened bread, which were really two different things, but uh, celebrated about the same time, was redemption. God redeemed his people and gave them a new life. He made them his people. They were no longer slaves in Egypt, but now they were his nation. So the whole concept of every year remembering the Passover when, when God brought them out of Egypt was that he made them his people, and they were a different people now. Then we had first fruits. <laughs> They, they would bring grain in from the first grain from the harvest and the priest would wave it before the Lord and celebrate the first harvest, the beginning of the harvest. You know, the plants that came out of that dry ground and new life came up and produced something that was abundant. The first fruits, regeneration, a change in their lives. And who they were. Then they had Pentecost. Penta, five, okay. Fifty days after first fruits, they have Pentecost. And again, they're celebrating harvest, but this is the end of the harvest. They're celebrating an abundant harvest, not just the beginning of the harvest. Um, the harvest was collected, and they celebrated God's blessing and God's power. Then we get to the end of the year. We have trumpets. Tarni, you didn't bring the shofar this morning. We had her blow the shofar so everybody would understand the announcement of trumpets. A regathering of God's people. Now we're looking at what's yet to come for us. Okay? A regathering of God's people when Jesus comes again. And then we had the great day of atonement, the holiest day of the year, when the, the one day of the year when the high priest was allowed to go into that holy place, which was the symbol of God's presence among his people, and make a sacrifice for all of the people. Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. And then we ended up with tabernacles when they would build booths and the kids get to live and sleep in the booth for a whole week and it's a celebration. Sukkot. A celebration of being God's people when Jesus comes again and gathers us to himself. Foreshadowing. Pictures of what God was going to do for them and what God is still going to do for us. Half of them are, for us as well, looking forward to things to come. What Freddie says. Absolutely. Oh, is mine not working? There you are. 
Well, I was, um, I don't know if, if you all appreciate these empowered teachers as much as I do, but um, this church is really blessed with empowered teachers. And like I said, it's not just these three, but it's anybody that's helping someone understand the story of Jesus Christ, how much he loves them, and how much God wants to have a relationship with us. Um, if you would, those that are able, if you would stand, I want to just say a prayer for these three. Thank you so much for um, sharing with us today. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for Max and Doug and Carol. We thank you that you fill them with your spirit, that you help them to understand what your word is so that they can share it in a mighty way with those that they teach. Father, we thank you that they have a passion for sharing your word with others. And Lord, we all thank you that we have empowered teaching that helps us move from being lukewarm Christians to be on, being on fire for the love that we have for Jesus Christ through empowered teaching. Bless these three and this entire congregation and the future people who will be able to learn more about the love of Jesus Christ as they come here to Living Hope Missionary Church of Dunphy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.